Yo, what's up, everybody? Great show on dirt live from the Sweet Bee Studios. I'm your host, Quentin. It is uh, 1.24 a.m. on Sunday, May 24th. I just ate six corn dogs, hovered over my kitchen sink, watching the 1986 ALCS. Man, dude, if you listen, if you want to talk about heartbreaking this 86 NLCS or 86 ALCS, that's what I'm watching. What did, did I say ALCS here? Hey, it's 1.23 a.m. Well past my bedtime. Usually I go to bed right after TGIF. But here we are now, 1.24 a.m. I love Urkel. What can I say? Yeah, it's not really on anymore. But, um, <laughs> dude, the 86 ALCS is a heartbreaker, man. It's just completely crazy. Listen, I'm always finding good baseball to watch since there's no baseball to watch, right? I'm digging digging deep, digging as far as I go, but the 86 ALCS, really, you don't have to dig deep for. It's a great series, and obviously the Red Sox won it, right? They won it in seven games, and they went on to famously lose the World Series to the Mets, right? But the 86 ALCS is so heartbreaking. Listen, I didn't know this, and this is one of the things that I sort of love about there not being baseball, which I'll get into in a second, is I'm learning so much stuff, man. Learning so much stuff. And truth be told, that's what, um, you know, I've been doing. A lot of, you know, not having live current baseball. And truth be told, I think that no baseball right now is making me love baseball even more, right? Because I'm digging into all these old games and... I think it, it's really made me just love the game more than ever because I've just had a time to, uh, you know, think, right? When you talk about baseball, right, it's supremely nostalgic. We, um, you know, baseball's like the closest thing to a time machine that I think actually exists outside of the DeLorean and the phenomenal Back to the Future movies. You know, right, when Back to the Future comes on TV, you have to stop everything and watch it. There are certain movies that you have to do that with. And I'm always like Major League, Back to the Future. Like, those are the first two movies I think of. And Trading Places with Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy. <laughs> yes. And um, that's what baseball is, man. It's just uh, crazy nostalgic. It's like a time machine, right? And because there's no current baseball to sort of fill that void, and plus being on quarantine, I am uh, super OCD and paranoid, but I have a new daughter. So, you know, the wife and I, we, we're staying close to the house. We're only getting out when we need to because, um, you know, we want to make sure that our daughter stays safe. And so me being the baseball dude that I am, and I'm just digging deep, right, and watching all these old games I can get, right, and they're, they're so fun to watch. 80s baseball is such a blast. Like, dude, I watched part of a Royals. Oh, I'm watching also the 85 ALCS and the uh, the Royals, dude, Steve Balboni. Oh, my God, bro. He looks like an Italian mobster. He's great. Um, but so I'm digging deep into all these games, man. And I'm sort of going on this time machine ride and I'm you know, remembering, you know, growing up and playing baseball and my dad teaching me baseball, building a pitcher's mound in my yard and taking me to, uh, you know, baseball practice. And, you know, there was that we had a baseball field by our house at Longfellow School. That was my grade school. And my dad would, you know, he'd he'd leave the house at 6 a.m. to go to work, come back at 5 p.m. And he'd always find time for me to, you know, throw me BP or whatever. And he had S10 pickup truck. So, you know, we'd get in the truck. I had my Easton bat bag, my Easton reflex, right? And we'd go to the the field by the house and we'd get in his S10, man. And he's he's a guy who builds stuff, right? So he's a construction dude. And there's just like honey bun wrappers and cigarettes, like the ashtrays completely overloaded. And he's smoking a Marlboro on the way. And it's like, you know, I'm thinking of like the cigarette smoke and like it's like it's it's what I'm saying, right? It's the little things that are so nostalgic. And when I think about my dad taking me to, you know, batting practice, right? To go pitch to me at the field, I just like think of like him listening to Creedence Clearwater Revival and smoking cigarettes and just that tobacco smell, man. Like I, I found a couple my two original gloves that I had growing up. Um, you know, my dad kept them. 
And because my parents smoked in the house for so long, like I got these gloves from them and they smelled just like leather and cigarettes. And like, I love it, you know, like that nostalgia is so powerful. I just want to go out and buy a pack of Marlboro cigarettes and just smoke them because it feels so good. And that's, you know, that's what baseball's about, man. And I feel like this downtime with, you know, not having current baseball, you know, if you feel, uh, you know, sort of down about it, I think one of the best things you can do is dig deep into old baseball, especially old baseball that you don't know anything about, right? Like the 86 ALCS, I clearly knew who won the 86 ALCS, but I had never watched the games out by out. I didn't really know the nuances of the game. And, you know, when I dig in deep to it, man, I realized that uh, the Angels had a three to one series lead and they were one strike away from going to the World Series and they end up losing the whole entire series in seven games. They, um, I don't know if I can remember all these dudes. Okay, so what it was is Dave Henderson, right, who was a Oakland Athletic later in his career. He came in as a defensive replacement in this game and ends up with it's it's a 2-2 count, right? One strike left, and the Angels are going to the World Series. The guy they have on the mound, his name's Donnie Moore, and he coughs up a two-run home run to Dave Henderson that puts the Red Sox in the lead, right, in the top of the ninth. And then the bottom of the ninth, the Angels end up tying it and forcing it to extra innings, and then the Angels still lost. And it was just so sad, man, because it's... Dude, 80s baseball so weird because they freely just threw shit on the fields, and I don't know why. Like, just, like, beer bottles and, like, seat cushions. Like, it was the weirdest thing, right? So, the, the Angels are, like, one, at this point, one out away, right? And all the security guards are coming out because in the 80s, you know, fans would run on the field. Like, it was a free-for-all, right? And so the security guards are like lining up on the foul lines because because this series is about to be over, right? And the Angels are going to go to the World Series in 1986. And like all the fans start throwing their seat cushions on the field. <laughs> and I'm like, your butt is sitting on that cushion for nine innings. You just do it on the field. And why are you throwing your seat cushions on the field? This is crazy to me. And... Then Dave Henderson hits his two-run home run, man. And I imagine in the in the locker room of the California Angels that they just had the champagne and the booze on tap and had to just probably go in there and get it all out. And so, yeah, that was game five that the Angels ended up losing. Then they dropped game six and seven, too. They got absolutely murdered in game seven. It was completely awful. But one of the guys... Um, like, I love the the Angels, right? The California Angels, like, now they're for sure my secondary team. Like, they've always, like, sort of been my secondary team the past few years. I've enjoyed watching Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, and I love Joe Madden, right? So since he's the, uh, the manager of the Angels, I like that. But watching the California Angels of 86, there are a lot of players that, like, I really got to know that only maybe knew by name or had never even had knowledge of. And I think that's one of the great things. If you're not doing it, you know, because baseball's not happening right now, you'll have so much fun if you'll just go on YouTube and dig through games. And it's sort of like an acquired taste that doesn't take long to get. So I think last year, I tried to watch like some old baseball games. I just couldn't get into it, right? Like I couldn't appreciate it. But I've been able to appreciate it this go around because there is no current baseball. And right, for example, um, when it comes to players that I've really like grown to like love and enjoy, Bobby Gritch, dude, I, listen, this is gonna be this is embarrassing. I'd never even heard of Bobby Gritch before I watched the '86 ALCS, right? And he he came up as a Baltimore Oriole, and he finished his career. '86 was his last season. He was a California Angel, bro. And this guy, dude, he plays with so much fire. Like he's yelling. He's like he's yelling at his third base coach. I mean, at one point, like a few years before, like in '83 or '84, he charged the mound on some poor rookie pitcher for the Baltimore Orioles, and it's just like fighting everybody he can get his hands on, right? He's a real fiery guy. He's a fun guy to watch. He played a second baseman and first baseman because Wally Joyner was the first baseman for the Angels, but he actually had to go to the ER. He was cooped up in the hospital for days because he had some sort of bacterial infection. And Wally Joyner, that's a, that's a name that I knew, 
but I hadn't watched Wally Joyner play in forever, and he was a damn good first baseman. 86 was his rookie year, and you know, in 1986, Jose Canseco won rookie of the year, but it likely could have very well have been Wally Joyner, because I think he was a better hitter in 1986, but home runs, Jose Canseco was putting him up, because him and Mark were ejecting each other with steroids in the Oakland Coliseum bathrooms, which doesn't seem sanitary at all, but hey, Listen, do what you have to do, man, to hit home runs. Um, but, I mean, the Angels, dude, had all kinds of fun players to watch, like Doug DeSense, who was a third baseman, Dick Schofield at shortstop, Bobby Gridge, who was playing second, Wally Joyner, who was playing first. There was some speed on the team with guys like Gary Pettis. Uh, they had also a guy named Rupert Jones. Um, let me see. Mike Witt was pitching. Don Sutton was like a 40-year-old gray-headed pitcher was pitching for the Angels. Man, it's just a great series. It was a heartbreaker. And when I'm watching the security guards come on the field, right, and then all of a sudden leave because no one's winning the pennant today, the life gets sucked out of the fans. And it reminds me of being a true Cubs fan because that's how it is being a Cubs fan is it's just like the Dementors come and suck the life out of you. And that's what happened on the field. And like I felt the anguish of it, man. And it's like in that moment when I'm watching this game and like I know who wins the series. But if you really focus on the game play-by-play, it's like even though you know who's going to win, you can appreciate the game and you can get into the game and you can be excited by the game because you still don't know what's going to happen play-by-play. Like I said, last year I couldn't really get into the old games, and this year I've been able to, and I don't know if it's because I'm just getting older and I have an appreciation for it or because there's no current baseball. But I'll tell you what, man, it's really helped me tap into that the time machine that baseball can be and thinking about, you know, how I learned the game. And, you know, I've, I still have those two original baseball gloves in here in my podcast studio, and they still smell like leather and tobacco. And I'll take a whiff of them, and it just feels good. You know, it really does. Um, watch the 86 ALCS. I mean, it's a hell of a ride, dude. They played baseball in the 80s. It was a whole nother game. Like, everybody did takeout slides, and nobody cared. It was great. And pitchers constantly threw high and tight on hitters and hitters would point their baseball bats at him like do it again bro and I'm gonna punch you in your face and I believe it happened dude it was um dude George Bell like in 83 or 84 like karate kicked a guy so did Sandy Alomar karate kicked a guy charging the mound as well which that's a ballsy move right there like charging the mound is one thing right like if I were to charge a mound listen I don't know where to start right I'm I'm a I'm a I'm an eater not a fighter you understand what I'm saying but like George Bell and Sandy Alomar George Bell's kick man might have been in 86 I'm not sure But you can find these clips on YouTube, or maybe I'll post them. But Sandy Alomar and George Bell both charged the mound at one point and went to karate kick the pitchers. Like, who does that when you charge the mound, right? I guess maybe they had seen Robin Ventura, like, go freely into Nolan Ryan's grip of a headlock and just get his skull bashed in. And they were just like, listen, man, this pitcher's going to throw high and tight at me. I'm about to kick him, man. Like, it's one thing to be like, I'm going to kick your ass. But it's another thing to be like, I'm literally going to kick you, man. I mean, you have to be mad. I've never wanted to karate kick anybody in my life. And these guys are just go so mad. Like, this guy goes high and tight to me. I'm going to karate kick him. I'm going to karate kick him. And that's what George Bell and Sandy Alomar did. They karate kicked the guy. It's great, dude. 80s baseball, man. And every single person. Boy, everybody chewed, man. Every pitcher's guys are pitching and they got like a big dip in their mouth. I guess like, listen, here's the thing, man. I like I was a kid, dude, and I knew like all baseball players chewed, but in the 80s, like I think the baseball players' wives must have chewed. It was so like everybody's just got big dips. This guy that I discovered that plays for the Astros, listen, another guy, and this is dude, please, if you're not watching old baseball games, do it. Right, like Bobby Gritch, one of my favorite players of all time now, right? But also the Astros had the guy named Charlie Kerfeld, which I talked about a few episodes ago. This guy would put so much dip in his mouth. Like he was having a competition with somebody. I think he had like three cans of skull just jammed in there, just spitting it out, man. It's like a fire hydrant of like dark chew, dude. You know, like he can't get like a Dr. Pepper bottle to put his chew and he's got to spit it in a five-gallon bucket. I'm pretty sure the guy probably swallowed it, man great stuff either way 
but it uh the 86 NLCS though dude was so legit. I talked about that a few episodes ago. So crazy. The amount of speed in that series was so wild. Some other things I learned, listen, of the 86 ALCS, bro, pitchers, dude, they just pitched them to death and they were fine. So 86 ALCS game one, Roger Clemens was 145 pitches, gives up eight runs and goes seven innings, right? They're just, just ride and die, dude. Then he pitches on three days rest and damn near throws a complete game shutout. Then throws on three days rest again in game seven and clinches the pennant. Like, dude, like, I don't know what it is, but these pitchers are just going. Even in the 85 ALCS, uh, Bud Black's just giving up runs, and they keep sending him out, man. Wild stuff. Uh, That's one thing I learned. Number two, John Candelaria. Listen, man. You've probably heard of John Candelaria. If you haven't seen him pitch, listen, he's a lefty. He throws sort of like Andrew Miller in the sense of he's a lefty, but he's really throwing from first base. Listen, this guy could pitch. And his 1986 season was clutch. He didn't pitch the full season, but for the California Angels, he went like 10-2 and with a sub-3 ERA. He pitched in Game 7 and did awful. But he pitched, I think, in that series in Game 3 and did really good. But what was sort of sad about that is that same year, he had actually lost his son that drowned in like a pool accident in his house or whatever. Um, So it was a really good story by that because, you know, when you think about, you know, athletes... Uh, you know, performing under like really bad circumstances, whether it's like Michael Jordan's flu game or Brett Favre's dad dying. Like John Candelaria was pitching in 1986, having just pulled the plug on his son who was in a coma for a year, right? A phenomenal story and really just a, a really good baseball dude John Candelaria was. And what I realized about like 80s baseball is when players were interviewed, they they didn't try to like talk a certain way. Like now... When baseball players are interviewed, they sort of like, they have like the same set of rules they abide by. Like they say the same things and they have the same mannerisms and you never really get to know the players. And one of the things about these old interviews when you're watching 80s games, it's like you truly get to know the players. Like John Candelaria in game, before game seven, he gave an interview and he opened up, was just straight up like, listen, there are a lot of things that have happened in my life. And I don't know if I love the game like I used to. Like, things are hard. And he said that in an interview before Game 7. And then before Game 3, they asked him how long he wanted to pitch. And he goes, honestly, if they're going to keep paying me, I'm going to keep pitching because there's a lot of money out there and I want to make it, you know? And in those two interviews, like, you get to know the guy who wants to make money but is going through these hardships. And he still went out on the mound and pitched. His son was in a coma for a year. A very powerful performance from this guy. And also, very, very fun to pitch. And a cool John Candelaria story, his his postseason debut was in 1979, and he was a Pittsburgh Pirate. No, it wasn't in 79. It was in like 76 or something like that. It was one of the years that the Big Red Machine won a World Series, right? But John Candelaria was pitching in the championship series for the National League, and I think at this point, those championship series were still five games. And he comes out and pitch game five and has a stellar performance, but gets a no decision because the game ends up going to extras or whatever, right? And John Candelaria's first postseason appearance, he's a Pittsburgh Pirate and he's going up against the Cincinnati Reds. And it's the big red machine, right? So they have all these guys, right? The first four batters he faces are, hold on, let me give you the names. Okay, it was the 75 NLCS and it was game three. So it was a best of five series, but it wasn't, it didn't go five games. It only went three games. Cincinnati swept it. And so he, John Candelaria, first first postseason appearance ever. He pitches seven and two-thirds innings, three hits, three runs, three earned, 14 strikeouts against the big red machine. And he came out in the eighth, and at that point, uh, the Pirates were losing three to two, and the Pirates ended up getting around the bottom of the ninth, right? Uh, so, but check this out. The first four guys he faces in the first and second inning, he strikes all four of them out. First ever postseason appearance, right? The the guys he strikes out in this order, Pete Rose, Joe Morgan, Johnny Bench, 
Tony Perez. And that's what I'm talking about is digging into these old games. You get this, this, this education of the sport, man. And it's really something to learn. You know, you know the names, but to dig into the nuances and discover a player like Bobby Gritch, who's this fiery player that'll just fight and yell and he's just a gritty dude who will he'll he'll take you out this he'll take you out on second on a slide then he'll punch a pitcher in the face right it's completely great then charlie kerfeld with all this dip then john candelaria dude you get to know like the person and it helps you not only appreciate the game but appreciate the players and appreciate the teams you know because then you realize like hey this is what the pittsburgh pirates were this is what the cincinnati reds were and you don't really think of these teams in a bubble of teams that just suck right now, right? There's real history here that's really fun to watch. And so John Candelaria strikes these four guys out. And at the time of this start, I mean, I think this was in 19... I think John Candelaria was like 20 years old or something. Here, hold on. If I hit back one more time. In 1975, John Candelaria was a 21-year-old who struck out Pete Rose, Johnny Bench... Joe Morgan and Tony Perez. Like, what in the world? That, and, dude, that's awesome, man. I haven't watched that series yet. I don't know if you can get those games on YouTube or not. Maybe some of them you can. But that's definitely one of the series that I'd like to jump into. And also in this 86 ALCS, Reggie Jackson was a California Angel. Dude, I don't know if you know this or not, but I don't think anybody swung a baseball bat as hard as Reggie Jackson did. This guy swung a baseball bat so hard, it was like he was 17 butt ices deep. Also topped that off with like five tall boys from the 7-Eleven on the way to adult softball league, just swinging as hard as he absolutely can. He had an awful series. It was his next to last season in the league, but holy cow, like he swung hard his whole damn career and that's a guy that's a fun guy to watch again you hear the name and it's like whatever Reggie Jackson bro oh swung hard bro just hard crazy dude and then Bob Boone man Bob Boone was a catcher for the Angels Aaron Boone's dad man and they make it seem like he was the godfather of pitch framing he was an elite catcher and an elite team leader on that California Angels team man watch that series for sure some other games that I watched, I watched a Cubs-Pirates game from 1991. Listen, I kid you not, they show Harry Carey in the booth, and he's wearing one glove on his left hand, which I'm almost positive because he's pounding Budweiser's in the booth because it's a cold day. It's like an April game. And I'm like, I guarantee Harry Carey's wearing a left-handed glove because he's pounding butt heavies in the booth. Nobody in the history of the game was more excited for a base hit than what Harry Carey was. And that was an absolutely fun game to watch. And plus, dude, what's so wild about like these 80s and 90s games, you'll watch them and you probably remember this, but on the outfield wall, they would have all the team's logos. Every team, bro. I love it, man. It was so rad, dude. Um, because the way stadiums looked back then, like the concrete donuts and the AstroTurf, bro, balls would bounce so high on the AstroTurf is completely crazy. It's like a bouncy ball you would get from the grocery store when your mom would give you a quarter, dude. <laughs> crazy stuff, man. But also like in these 80s and 90s games, dude, fans would just like take their shirts off. Like the stands at Wrigley Field in the 80s, Looked absolutely filthy, bro. It, it looked like syphilis, man. Like, that's all I know, dude. Like, you got to get a tetanus shot when you leave these stadiums, dude. Um, But the Cubs-Pirates game was good. It's a game from 1991. You can find it on YouTube. Just search Cubs-Pirates 91. It's, like, one of the top ones that comes up because it goes, like, 11 or 12 innings and the Cubs blow, like, a nine-run lead. It's, like, par for the course, right? Whatever. And then there's another game from 1990. It's an Astros-Reds game from 1990. It's 1990 opening day, right? And Mike Scott pitches. And then the at, for the Astros, Mike Scott pitches. And the Reds, dude, they're just stupid loaded, man. The Barry Larkin, Chris Sabo, Spuds, and his stupid Rex Specs. Like, get contacts, you idiot. You look stupid. No, Rex Specs were the shit in the 90s, man. Like, Kurt Rambis, Horace Grant. 
Chris Sabo, like Rex Specs, dude. Yeah. And they had Eric, they, what did I say? They said Eric Davis. Also, the Cincinnati Reds had this guy named Glenn Braggs who looked like a linebacker for like the Cowboys or something. Dude, this guy, it, it was crazy, man. Oh, shit. There's actually another game that I watched from, I think, 1990 as well, where the Reds were playing the Montreal Expos. And Dennis Martinez is pitching, right? And he throws it at Glenn Braggs like two or three times. He just doesn't care. Because um, apparently those guys have beef, and I think Glenn Braggs had a couple hits, which is also what they do in the 80s and 90s. If it's straight up, like if you're the pitcher, if I'm the pitcher and a hitter comes in the box and he's like two for two off of me, I'm going to hit him. <laughs> like I'm going to throw it at your face, bro. The bow tie, best pitch in the world. You throw it right there where their bow tie would be, man. And best O2 pitch in baseball, bro. But if you go two for two on me or hit a home run, Yo, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna brush you up with a bow tie, man. They weren't afraid of sweet chin music, man. But the players, bro, like I tell you, man, they point baseball bats at you. They're ready to fight. But oh, what I'm saying is though, dude, Dennis Martinez, big dip of chew, bro. Looks like he has a whole baseball in his mouth worth of chew, and he's visibly just spitting tobacco juice on the baseballs. <laughs> it's the ultimate baseball move. He doesn't care, man. He's just like. Bloop. And just spitting on the baseball and throwing it, man. It's great. I uploaded that on Twitter. It's on all my social media channels. Yeah, you can find it there. Um, Dennis Martinez was a fun guy to watch, too, man. The Expos teams, dude. They're good teams. For, like, in, like in the 80s and 90s, the Montreal Expos were well-known to put out the uh, the best prospects in baseball. <laughs> like, And it's such a shame that they're not in the league. And I'm an advocate for the... For the Expos, no matter what, bring the Expos back. Because now they're like a cult classic, dude. Like, you have to bring the Expos back, dude. Absolutely. Um, but the Astros-Reds game's really funny, man. Because they've got um, oh, Eric Anthony. He was like an outfielder, right? And it's the second inning of this opening day game for the Astros and Reds. And Eric Anthony comes running off the field. And the announcers are sort of like, why is Eric Anthony running off the field? His legs look fine. He's running good. And then the another announcer is like, he's probably got to go to the bathroom. You know, sometimes you just got to make a run for it if you got to take a dump. <laughs> and they're just straight up on national TV calling Eric Anthony out for having to take a deuce, having to drop a deuce in the middle of a game. And he darts off the field and the announcers are just like, well, his hamstrings look good. Maybe he's got it. You know, you'll run anywhere for that. And I'm like, yes, you will. <laughs> oh, and then when this is the last game I'll mention that I watch is there's a Reds Dodgers game from I think like 91 and it's a Sunday night baseball game, right? So let me paint this picture to you. You know, the Cincinnati Reds had the nasty boys. Okay. Rob Dibble, Norm Charlton and Randy Myers. We're going to focus on Norm Charlton right now, right? So Norm, like, is going to come in for relief, right? Um, The inning before, oh, no, no, no. The Saturday before this Sunday game, Eric Davis is, like, sliding into home to score a winning run. And Mike Sosha blocks the plate. Eric Davis can't slide in. So when you could do that, you could block the plate, you could run guys over, right? Well, Eric Davis doesn't run him over. Eric Davis isn't a big guy. Mike Social blocks the play. Eric Davis is out. Can't believe it. He's irate. The Reds lose the game, right? Fast forward to Sunday. And obviously, if you're Norm Charlton and you get a relief appearance, you're probably going to look to hit Mike Sosha, right? Well, so Norm pitches his inning, and he's going to pitch two innings. And oddly enough, Norm Charlton gets a chance to bat, right? And I know what Norm's thinking in his head right now. So, Norm gets a base hit. He's on first base. Now, he puts on his jacket, which I absolutely love. You know, in the 90s, like, if you were a pitcher and you got on base, you had to put on your starter jacket to stay warm, right? So, Norm Charlton puts on his starter jacket, and he's at first base, right? And he's just like, okay, whatever. There's a pitcher on first base. He, I don't know who gets the hit, but somebody, either a hitter or two hitters after Norm hits for extra bases, all right? So Norm Charlton's trucking around second, full starter pitcher's jacket in the whole line. He's coming up on third base. The third base pitching coach is like, stop. 
You can't make it home. You got to stop. Keep in mind, Mike Sosha's a catcher and he's at home plate. So Norm Charlton's running around third. The third base coach is like, stop. Norm Charlton says, fuck it. He keeps running. He circles third and absolutely annihilates Mike Sosha at home plate, knocks the ball out of Sosha's hand, scores a run, and just goes back to the dugout like Rambo just took out a bunch of snipers in the woods, man. And like, when do you see a reliever lay out a catcher? And that's what the 90s baseball, that's what the nasty boys were, dude. They were crazy, man. They all threw fast. They struck everybody out and they would literally fight you. Like, you'll strike out and probably need stitches when the nasty boys are done with you. And I could only imagine how the conversation went when... You know, the Reds are in this, like, pennant race or whatever. And Norm Charlton's like, yo, you mess with my boy Eric Davis, I'm going to hit you. And the coach is like, don't put a guy on base. And then Norm's probably like, okay, well, I'll get on base and run his ass over. That's what I'll do. I'll get on base and I'll smoke him. That's exactly what he did, man. Full pitcher's jacket and all, dude. Then he comes out the next inning and pitches a scoreless inning. Like, what in the world, man? Crazy stuff. I think he pitched a scoreless inning. Either way, he came back out the pitch, dude. That's how, but also, that's how, like, fights would go, like, in the 80s and 90s. Like, hitters would charge the mound. People would fight, and, like, people wouldn't get ejected. They would just, like, keep pitching. Like, you know when Nolan Ryan beat up Robin Ventura? Nolan Ryan hit Robin Ventura on purpose. Beat him up. Stayed in the game. Ended up throwing seven innings, dude. That's the that's gritty stuff, man. Legit. Um, I don't know what else I have to talk about, man. Here, let me dig through some of my notes. I'll see what else I have. Yes, listen, the way <laughs> fans in the 80s and 90s when they would go to baseball games, they would dress like they were about to go to J.C. Penney to get family portraits. Like they had to go to Sunday church, go to Golden Corral afterwards, and then go to the baseball game. Like they were all dressed so nice, but they were also like some crazy people out there getting hammered too. Like packs of cigarettes rolled up in their sleeves, like the batting practice helmets. It was a motley crew in the 80s, man. Uh, but I find it so weird that people were dressing up to go to games, man. But then some people would just be like straight from the trailer park, dude. Just a motley crew of crazy people. Listen, I got a good story for you. And this one, I had never heard before, right? I had no idea this had happened. I just always assumed that Randy Johnson was just like, a stud pitcher, right? But early, in, and I, I figured this out from watching like an old, from like 1990, a Mariners-Tigers game. And it's from 90 or 91, and Randy Johnson's just getting rocked, right? And apparently Randy Johnson, early in his career, had zero control, right? Couldn't repeat his mechanics, couldn't keep things in line, just couldn't find the plate. Well, in 1992... Nolan Ryan and Randy Johnson met up, and Nolan Ryan um, started helping Randy Johnson with his mechanics because Randy's sort of like, hey, like I can't dial things in or whatever, and Nolan Ryan just gave him like all this free advice, and Nolan knew exactly what to tell Randy Johnson, so he's starting to tell Randy, um, hey, man, you're really tall. Your limbs are long. It's hard to really keep everything in check. Here's how you need to land. Gave him some few other delivery tips or whatever, right? And this actually happened. This was a meeting. Randy Johnson met a few times with Nolan Ryan and then Nolan's pitching coach, who was, what was that guy's name, like Tom House or something like that? Uh, Tom, something like Tom House, maybe something House. I don't know. And so he has his meetings with him. Here, let me see if I have some details from it. Um, so at this point, Randy Johnson's walking a ton of guys. He can't throw strikes. And Nolan said to him, he's like, listen, you got to try to be consistent because you're so tall. Um, he, he, Nolan told Randy that he was driving his body towards third base instead of directly home. And one of the big things that Nolan apparently told Randy Johnson was that, listen, no matter how hard you throw, your mechanics are not consistent. He told Randy, he said, listen, Randy, land on your forefoot instead of your heel. That's what Nolan told Randy. So Randy does it, right? Like two weeks later, Randy Johnson throws 
eight innings against the Texas Rangers, throws 160 pitches, and strikes out 18 guys. Randy had 16 strikeouts through six innings. At that pace, he's striking out like 24 guys. But he throws 160 pitches through eight innings. Strikes out 18 guys. He takes the loss because I think he gives up three runs. But who was pitching that day? Nolan Ryan. It was crazy. And what was so interesting about that, sort of what I learned with Nolan Ryan, because you think of Nolan Ryan in the Ryan Express, right? And he's just this guy who throws really hard and seemingly threw forever. But so I, I start digging into this story because I'm like, man, he just helped Randy Johnson. But apparently Nolan Ryan was the guy. He would help everybody, knowing that he would probably face them at some point with Randy Johnson. They were both in the American League. So he helps Randy. And two weeks later, Randy comes out against his team, the Texas Rangers, and strikes out 18 guys. And the Rangers won 3-2. to two. I think Nolan went seven innings and gave up maybe a couple runs. And then Randy went... The, the eight innings on 160 pitches, mind you. And uh, strikes out 18 guys. And you know if you're Nolan's teammate, you're like, man, we love you, Nolan, because you help a lot of our young guys. But you just help this guy that struck out 18 of us, and that's sort of a problem. But, hey, it's okay. But what I learned about Nolan Ryan, he was always this helpful guy, apparently, who always – he loved helping guys, loved helping young guys. And part of his reason for helping Randy – was he realized that Randy Johnson was in this funk in his career. It was 1992. He um, started pitching, I think, consistently as a starter, maybe like in 89 or something like that. And he just didn't really know what to do with his career because he wasn't progressing. Like, he could throw hard. Um, When he was on, he was super scary, but he just couldn't line it all up. And that's just the type of guy Nolan Ryan was. Like, he would help younger players. He loved to help younger players. And it didn't really matter because... Apparently, Nolan in his career had a time where he really was sort of lost with the way he was throwing, you know what I mean? And so Nolan understood the hardships of being a professional baseball player and the ups and downs you could go through. So he was very nice about helping other people, which I thought was super cool. And again, that's one of the things that like I just learned through this quarantine. Like even though there's not current baseball, I feel like I'm getting closer to the sport. I'm learning a lot of fun things that I didn't know before. And the Randy Johnson and Nolan Ryan story is pretty cool, but 160 pitches. Good God, man. But think of that 16 strikeouts through six innings. That's only 18 outs. So through six innings, he struck out everybody but two guys. Uh, Listen, I'm going to see who he didn't strike out through six innings. Hold on. Listen, okay, I'm on baseball reference right now. I'm going to try to find this start. I think it was in September. Oh, here it is, September 27th. Now, there's no game footage for this, but there's some Keith Olbermann Sports Center highlights you can dig into. Okay, so let's look at this. He had 16 Ks through six innings. Now, if you, this is really fun, right? If you go to Baseball Reference, you can um, go to any box score you want. You can get the play-by-play. So you can look at the box scores, but also you can get like the play-by-play and see what happened, which is pretty fun because you can sort of relive these games that you can't watch, okay? So Randy Johnson goes eight innings, strikes out 18 guys, walked four, uh, six hits, two earned through eight. Nolan... Through seven innings, gave up two runs, but only one earned. He struck out five guys and only threw 111 pitches. Listen, Randy Johnson threw 160 pitches. 111 of them were strikes. Um, okay, check this out. Let's go to, but both, neither of the guys, Nolan nor Randy, factored into the decision, right? So let's go to the play-by-play here real quick. So, okay, bottom of the first, Randy Johnson's pitching. He gives up a single to the first guy, then... A fly ball out, okay? Then strikes out a guy, catches a guy stealing, striking out a guy. First inning, two strikeouts. He strikes out Juan Gonzalez and Brian Downing, who Brian Downing was an angel in 86, bro. He was a hard swinger. Listen, this guy named Brian Downing, he you ever watch Javi Baez play and he swings the bat so hard? If you think Javi swings the bat hard, bro, or like Reggie Jackson, Brian Downing swings the bat so damn hard. Listen, Brian Downing gets called up to the major leagues. And I, I don't really know when his first season was, but 
When Brian Downing, I'll tell you right now, actually, hold on. Brian Downing gets called up to the major leagues in 1973, right? 275 career home runs, 51 war, damn good player. Brian Downing's first ever career at bat. He, he takes a swing, misses the ball, of course. He swings the bat so damn hard he injures himself. He, like, fractures a rib or something stupid. Ends up missing, like, eight weeks or something like that, man. Injures himself on the first at bat on the first swing he ever took. Brian Downing did that. Swear to God, man. Um, I heard it on the Angels broadcast when I was watching the 86 ALCS. You learned so much. Yeah. And, yeah, that's how hard he swung, bro. Like, that would be my luck, man. The first swing he ever took, right? So, of course, he struck out Brian Downing, too. Because Brian Downing swings like there's no tomorrow. Okay, bottom of the second, he strikes out three guys in a row. So, at this point, Randy Johnson has struck out one guy, two guy, five guys in a row. Okay, one guy got a fly ball out. Strikes out five guys in a row. No, Randy Johnson comes in and get in the third. Strikes out a guy, walks a guy. Strikes out a guy looking, gives up a single, gives up another single, then strikes out a guy. So in, so basically what you got in the first inning, Randy Johnson got three outs, of course. Two of them were by strikeout. Second inning, all three outs by strikeout. Third inning, all three outs by strikeout. Settled in a walk and a single and a single, right? That's not the Ricky Bobby way of doing things if you're not first or last. I don't know what is. Uh, next inning. Fly ball out. So that's your non-strikeout out. And then strikes out two guys in the fourth. Okay, so at this point, through his six innings and 16 Ks, he's already got his two non-strikeouts. Comes in in the fifth, strikes three guys out swinging. <laughs> then comes out in the sixth, strikeout swinging, strikeout looking, strikeout swinging. Nestled between a walk, a single, and a single. <laughs> and then a defensive interference. Someone stole second base. Yvonne Rodriguez um, came in to pinch hit, struck out. <laughs> no kidding. Dude, what the heck? 16 Ks through six. That could be the most through six innings. Like, I truly don't have an idea, but I'd say I'd say whatever Nolan Ryan did, it worked, my man. Oh, this will be the last this is the last thing we're gonna cover before this episode's over. Listen, I want to talk about Eddie Murray. Right? Eddie Murray, probably the second best switch hitter that ever lived besides Mickey Mantle. Steady Eddie was his nickname, which w must have been the most appropriate nickname ever in the history of baseball. Do you know that Eddie Murphy, Eddie Murphy, <laughs> two, 217 guy. Listen, I routinely call Eddie Murray, Eddie Murphy, right? Eddie Murray raw guys. Listen, Eddie Murray hit 504 career home runs but never hit more than 33 in a season. That, my friends, is the definition of steady. Steady Eddie is one of six guys to hit 500 home runs and 3,000 hits. The other guys are Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, then Eddie Murray, Alex Rodriguez, Albert Pujols. Oh, there's another guy in there. Alex Rodriguez, Albert Pujols. Who's the six? I can think of this. It's another guy that like juiced up or something. Rafael Palmero. That's the sixth guy. So what? So what is huge? What I'm getting at with Eddie Murray here, right? Eddie Murray's so underrated, man. Like it, it, he in this day of like advanced analytics, Eddie Murray doesn't look that pretty in the sense he only has like a 68 WAR, right? And with everybody looking at Mike Trout, who's like got an 80 war and he's going to finish with like the record ever. It's like whatever, right? When Eddie Murray retired from baseball, he was one of three guys with 500 home runs and 3,000 hits. When he retired, it was Eddie Murray, Willie Mays, Hank Aaron. Those were your three guys. Since then, Albert Pujols has done it. And then two other guys, Palmero and A-Rod. And they're on steroids. So really, this is a group of four guys. And when you're a Major League Baseball player and you're one of four, you are absolutely elite. Bill James, who's like the baseball expert, said that Eddie Murray was probably the fifth best first baseman in the history of baseball. Yet his name really doesn't come up a whole lot. 
He's one of four, probably the fifth, fifth best first baseman in baseball. And I just loved it. What got me on this Eddie Murray kick was game five of the 95 World Series. Greg Maddox goes high and tight on Eddie Murray. And Eddie Murray gets pissed. He takes out his baseball bat, points it straight. Oh, points his hand straight at Greg Maddox. He's like, I'm going to beat your ass, man. And then that's what got me on the Eddie Murray kick. But this, dude, 95 World Series, Eddie Murray. So Greg Maddox throws it on him, right? Eddie Murray's pissed, man. Eddie Murray's one of the few guys. He's got his hat still. He he puts on his hat and then puts his helmet over his hat, just like you did in Little League, man. Classic, dude. And he 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 doesn't charge the mound on Greg. But at this point, Greg Maddox is like 33. Eddie Murray's 39. And he's like, I got old man strength, and I'm going to beat your ass right now. You don't know me. I'm from L.A. I'm from L.A., man. I'm going to beat your ass. And, yeah, what I said, L.A., because Eddie Murray and Ozzie Smith went to the same high school in L.A., you know? So Eddie Murray's out here like West Coast, Best Coast, West Side. I'll fight you, Greg Maddox, and I'll beat you up, and I believe it. On this moment in the 95 World Series, when Maddox goes high and tight on Eddie Murray, there's no doubt in my mind 39-year-old Eddie Murray with the old man strength would beat his ass like Sam Elliott beating up people in Roadhouse. One million percent, dude. Because I know he's got that old man strength. 504 home runs. Of course he's got old man strength. But yeah, I also learned that. Eddie Murray and Ozzie Smith were at the same high school on the same baseball team in 1973. Two Hall of Famers on the same high school baseball team. How crazy is that? But now also someone commented on... um. One of my posts on Twitter, hold on. So Eddie Murray, listen, if you watch the 1983 World Series, you can watch the clips on YouTube of Eddie Murray hitting home runs. The Orioles won the 83 World Series. They beat the Phillies. Eddie Murray had such power. His last season in the league, I think, was in 1998 at the age of 40. If someone had given Eddie Murray steroids and like 94 when all these other guys were doing it, He'd be a 700 home run guy. His body would have never given out. His swing, steady Eddie, his swing was so destructive. Go to YouTube, search his home runs for the 83 World Series. In the 83 World Series, it might have been like a game three. He hits two home runs, and they are absolute bombs. He's sporting the old Orioles jersey, which is they're so slick. They have this bright orange on him. And he hits both these home runs from the left-hand side of the plate and just absolutely wallops these balls, right? So watch those videos, man. And I, I've got them posted on social media as well. Twitter, Greatest on Dirt. Instagram, Greatest Show on Dirt. Facebook, Greatest on Dirt, right? Just go to Facebook and search the Greatest Show on Dirt and you'll find it. But on Twitter, you got to do Greatest on Dirt, and on Instagram, you got to do greatest show on dirt. You understand? Listen, look at these. Oh, crap. Hold on. Somebody tweeted me some of like Eddie Murray's all-time numbers. I don't know if I have them. Dun, dun, dun. Ba-dum, bum, bum. Dang it. I found it. Listen to this. So besides the stats that I said, 500 home runs, 3,000 hits, top five first baseman. All time, Eddie Murray, 13th in hits, 11th in RBIs, second in switch hit home runs, of course, Mickey Mantle, three-time gold glover at first, plus 61 total zone runs at first base. So he was a damn good defender, and he was hard to strike out per 162 games and 607 at-bats, only 81 strikeouts. This guy, Eddie Murray, man, is a guy that you don't hear about, but jump into him during quarantine because he is a damn good player and has a very destructive swing. All right, guys, that's it. 49 minutes. Hey, I'm going to cash this one out. Listen, um, thanks for tuning in, first of all. If um, any of the videos I talked about, and plus, I've posted a ton of stuff, right? So you should absolutely do this. Go Twitter is where I post most of my videos. So if you go at Greatest on Dirt, I posted tons of fun videos on there. Fun videos, funny videos, 
monster home runs, like stuff you won't see anywhere else, I have on my Twitter page, Greatest on Dirt. Some of that stuff and some different stuff I'll post on Instagram, which is under Greatest Show on Dirt. Then if you have a Facebook page, just search The Greatest Show on Dirt, and it'll come up, and I post some stuff on there as well. But otherwise, hey, I'm going to wrap it up. Thanks for listening. Um, stay safe out there. Don't get the coronavirus. And um, I, I don't really know what else to say, man, but thanks for listening. I haven't recorded in a couple weeks. So I'm going to try to do it more often. But like I said, I've been spending time with my daughter, and it's a great time. But dig into some old baseball stuff. Take this time. Soak in the history of baseball. Soak in your history of baseball. And take the time to remember why you love the game. And I guess that's all I can really say, you know. Just um, remember the good times, man. And since there's no current baseball, you know, just dig deep into some old stuff. Remember why you love the game and, you know, find it for you, man. But otherwise, um, that's it. We'll end it here. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. And until next time. See you then. Bye.